Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. And I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. So bad news, folks. Salmon are dying. They're dying because the rivers are drying up, and they're dying because it's hot, and it's staying hot. Do you think they make discount sushi with all those dead salmon? Nicole, that's disgusting. Come on. I know. I'm just kidding. That is just like if there's one thing that should never be discount, it's sushi, especially like fish cooked directly in the river. Ew. Ah, I'll get someone to bring it by your house and you tell me what you end up doing with it. But (laughs) okay, (laughs) (laughs) some of them do get scooped up and actually turn into pet food. That's real. Or they're left to rot in the river. And that can actually be good for river ecology. Also, Nicole, I must tell you that it smells very bad. I mean, the circle of life isn't always pretty, I guess. Also, because rivers are so low, they're worried about salt water getting pushed up into the Sacramento Delta. So the state is actually building an emergency barrier in the river to try to keep that salt water out. Good luck to them. In other climate change disaster hour news, sea levels are rising and the coast is falling. It is falling into the ocean specifically. That's right, folks, it's erosion. But now they're working on predicting these collapses using lasers. They mount them on the back of a truck, they point them at the cliffs, and they look for movement in the sand. Science. But I guess those lasers can only predict if a cliff is going to collapse within the next 50 years, right? Right. It's not very exact. And we might have less time than that at the shuttered San Onofre nuclear plant in Orange County. There's 3.6 million pounds of nuclear waste there inside steel canisters, inside a concrete monolith. I mean, that sounds secure, but also it's probably best to keep your nuclear waste above the water where you can keep an eye on it, huh? Yeah, that's usually why you bury it in a place like Yucca Mountain in the Nevada desert, not give it an ocean view suite. So the problem is the beach in front of the nuclear plant is eroding, and now the big waves are slamming closer and closer to those spent nuclear rods. Not good. Well, back to more terrestrial matters. If you listen to the show, you may have heard the governor's facing a recall election in a little over a month. This week, some of Gavin Newsom's challengers met in their first debate at the Nixon Presidential Library in Orange County. We're going to talk more about the debate and the state of the recall with two recall campaign veterans. Gary South worked for former Democratic Governor Gray Davis, who was recalled in 2003. And Rob Stutzman was a spokesman for Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger, who replaced Davis in that election. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Great to be here. So we had the first debate of the recall recently. We are talking Thursday morning, so it was last night for us. We heard from four GOP hopefuls, the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, ex-Newsom challenger John Cox, Assemblymember Kevin Kiley, and former Congressman Doug Osey. Governor Gavin Newsom was invited, so were Republican candidates Larry Elder and Caitlyn Jenner, but they had prior commitments, and Newsom didn't even respond to the invitation, apparently. Just want to get your initial thoughts from the debate. Like, did we learn anything? Did anyone stand out during the debate? Gary, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, I watched the whole debate because I knew we were going to have this conversation this morning, although it was pretty painful. And um, (laughs) But there are 46 candidates who have filed on the replacement line in this recall. And the candidates you had on the stage last night were John Cox, who's at 7% in the last poll, Kevin Kiley, who's at 5% in the last poll, Kevin Faulkner at 4%, and Doug Osey doesn't even register in the polls. So it means he's at zero. So, you know, it struck me as kind of like the kids' card table at, at family Thanksgiving dinner. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It does. None of these candidates are going to be governor of California ever. None of the four of them are ever going to be governor of California. So 
it, it's just kind of a it's just kind of a make work exercise. And do these people know what state they're running in? Do they think they're running in Wyoming or South Dakota? I mean, it was just a bunch of right wing Republican claptrap that that doesn't sell in California. Well, you know, on that note, it is hard enough for Republican to win in a statewide election in a normal year. But this time, these folks have to convince voters to, one, kick Newsom out, and two, they have to rise to the top of a crowd of 45 other people. Rob, should these candidates be trying to win Democratic votes, and why or why not? Without there being a prominent Democrat in the field, the question really becomes, well, even though there's going to be millions of Democrats and independents, even a couple of Republicans that may vote no on the recall, they still then go to the next question, which is the vote for a candidate. I suspect many of them just won't do that. But if this recall continues to look uncertain as to its outcome, as it, then I think they start to look at, well, okay, but which one of these candidates would I vote for? There's nine candidates that have Democrat after their name, and they're completely unknown. Uh, and their ballot designations aren't necessarily compelling, meaning what, what it says they, they do or are, um, what their jobs are. So I, I would think that one of these Republican candidates would start to think about the fact that there are millions of available votes out there if you present yourself as a bit of a safe harbor or backup should lightning strike and, and the recall occur. And I, you know, I think Faulkner's nudged that way a little bit, but I don't think he made a big enough move that way last night to really kind of capture people's attention. And the other point, this, this goes to Gary's point with all these candidates are relatively unknown, virtually unknown in a state like California is none of them appear to really have the resources uh, to, to change that. So what that means is, you know, voters are going to take on this ballot with very little information about anyone. And that, that means you could have some wildly unpredictable outcomes as to who really comes out on top. Well, you were each involved in the 2003 recall. I'm so curious if there's been a time in the last eight months or so where you thought, wow, this takes me back to the Greg Davis recall. Or was there a moment where you were like, man, the times really have changed? What really happened in the 2003 recall was that once Arnold Schwarzenegger announced and got into the to the to the to the replacement field, he became the public face of the recall. And there were 135 candidates who filed in that in that recall, and Arnold got 49% of the vote. That means that almost half of everyone who voted, and there were 9.4 million voters, by the way, who showed up in, in that recall in 2003. Almost half the voters who voted voted for Arnold, and, and, and the other half split their votes among the other, other 134 candidates. Once Arnold got into that race, he became the galvanizing force in the recall. And what we found in, in the polling was that in the public mind, this thing had really kind of boiled down to a Davis versus Schwarzenegger race. And in that in that kind of a face-off, it was going to be very difficult for Davis to beat Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though they're not on the same ballot line. The other problem we had was Cruz Bustamante, the lieutenant governor, who broke a public pledge not to run in the recall and got into the race himself. When Cruz Bustamante got into that race, remember, he was lieutenant governor of California, and he had been elected twice to that position. He was the sitting lieutenant governor, and Davis had been elected governor himself in 1998 as the sitting lieutenant governor. So there was very recent precedent for 
a lieutenant governor running for governor. And one of the things we found was when we would try to, in focus groups, you know, posit this as a Republican recall, a Republican power grab, we, we found people saying, well, how can it be a Republican recall when his own Democratic lieutenant governor is running against him? And there were a disturbingly meaningful number of Democrats who thought they could have a twofer. They could vote to, to get rid of Davis, who they didn't particularly like anyway, and end up with another Democrat replacing him in Cruz Bustamante. Now, as we all know, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. They, they lost at both ends. <laughs> so it, it, the lack of a Schwarzenegger, kind of a galvanizing, larger-than-life force like Schwarzenegger in this race, and the lack of a high-profile Democrat running on the replacement line are two advantages, major advantages, that, that Newsom has that Davis did not have in 2003. My sense is that there are a lot more differences between the 2021 recall and the 2003 recall than there are similarities. I agree. I, I mean, I agree with, <clears throat> largely agree with Gary's assessment. It's also worth pointing out that the gap between registered Democrats and Republicans in California is double what it was 18 years ago. I mean, three times actually, it, almost, almost right. And so there's there is a whole lot more built-in advantage here for for Newsom. The greatest accomplishment they've they have pulled off, I think, is what Gary's alluded to, which is keeping another high-profile Democrat out of the race. I think if there was one on the ballot, um, I would think the odds are he would be recalled. But the interesting thing here, the, the dynamic is so different, so muted. You know, the the absence of of a Schwarzenegger type figure, the absence of as much outrage as there was in 03. People aren't as angry as they were 18 years ago, but it has really put this whole process to sleep. And we're, what we're seeing now in the polling is that that's Newsom's problem. Dem Democrat voters are pretty ambivalent about him. You, that's pretty clear. No one feels strongly for him. Um, and so that's why the campaign is relentlessly trying to brand this as a Republican recall which I don't think resonates as reality uh, with voters, but all that all that Newsom needs to do is really just stoke enough Democrats to send those ballots back in, and by pure math, they'll be able to to beat the recall. But it's hard; to, it's been harder to organize. Larry Elder might end up being a godsend for Newsom because yeah, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to convince any of these California voters that somehow John Cox and Kevin Faulkner or Doug Osey people they don't know really who they are, are, are some, you know, cut out of the cloth of, of Trump, because at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're not. Um, Elder fits that a little bit more. And I, I think you'll see the, I think you'll see the Newsom campaign try to capitalize on that now that he's the front runner. I want to talk more about the messaging that we've been hearing from Newsom. You know, he's calling it a, a Republican recall, a partisan power grab. Rob, I want to know what you think of that. Does it help him to tie this recall effort to the Trump side of the GOP? Or does that tick people off who may have legitimate concerns about things like the unemployment agency fiasco or their kid going back to school this fall? So the answer is it does a bit of both. From a, from a campaign mechanic perspective, it makes sense because all you need to do is energize enough of this two to one advantage that you have with registered Democrats um, over Republicans in the state, they just get enough of them to send the ballot back in. 
But on the other hand, it does perpetuate this notion that that Newsom is uh, disconnected from reality. Uh, There are millions of Democrats in this state who have had their lives disrupted and the state has failed to effectively serve, particularly through unemployment benefits at at EDD. There are a lot of issues and uh, Newsom's campaign basically, you know, skips along trying to ignore that these issues exist. Newsom really lacks the ability, I think, to connect with people in an empathetic way for a lot of reasons. And I think their message somewhat reinforces that. So at the end of the day, they probably slug themselves to victory, but I do not think he emerges from this as some type of strengthened, you know, politician. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think he, he's someone that looks like he will, you know, barely have, have escaped um, with, with his life, something that he never should have, you know, been facing in the first place. We've talked about Democratic sort of ambivalence to Newsom in this recall. Gary, do you think that Democrats hear Newsom call this a Republican power grab and, and just write it off as that's never going to happen? Like, could that be part of why they're not super engaged? Because it has been 15 years since a Republican won a statewide office. I've been doing Democratic races for 40 years, and I'm not saying that Democrats are you know, enthused about this recall because they're not. I mean, it's 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 a different face of the coin from where Republicans are. But the reality is in every race that I've ever done, including governor's races in California, Democrats always engage late. There are, there are reasons for that. There are demographic reasons for that. There are sociological reasons for that. But Democrats never engage um, as early in a campaign as Republicans do. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. And, and it's, it's as true in the recall as it has been in every other race that I've ever run. And I, I disagree with the premise that Democrats are, are, are ambivalent about Gavin Newsom. I mean, go back and look at all the polling. He gets very, very high job approval ratings from Democrats, even to this very day. I mean, the PPIC poll that came out last week on environmental issues and handling of the jobs and jobs and the economy, Democrats on the first issue of, of handling environmental issues gave him an 85% job approval rating and on jobs and the economy. And the economy has clearly taken a hit from the pandemic. Like it has in every single state, they gave him an 84% job approval rating. It is simply, it is simply mythical to suggest somehow that Democrats are lukewarm about Newsom. Well, political strategists Rob Stutzman and Gary South, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. Coming up, we'll hear more about a growing push to change how recalls are conducted in California. After the Newsom recall, of course. Stay tuned. California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nigel Duara. And I'm Nicole Nixon. So, Nigel, let's talk for a second about the actual rules of a recall. Lots of people are looking at the process here and saying maybe it deserves a second look, including the Secretary of State. She told Cap Radio a couple weeks ago that she thinks the threshold to get a recall on the ballot is too low. Yeah, it's one of the lowest thresholds in the country, right? Like, you only need signatures from about 12% of recent voters? Exactly. Here's what Secretary Shirley Weber had to say about that. Is it reasonable to have such a low bar for recall, 12%? You know, we need to look to see what other people are doing because 
you know, there's, there's always 10 to 15 percent who don't like who, who do not like somebody, you know. And so is that a reasonable uh, amount that we should have to in order to recall anybody? She also questioned other rules around the recall, like the fact that we could have one within a year of a regular primary election and the fact that a candidate could replace Newsom without winning support from a majority of voters. Nicole, how do we end up with some of these rules in the first place? I was wondering the same thing. So I called up Kim Nalder. She's a political science professor at Sacramento State University. Yeah, so so the recall, along with the initiative and the referendum, were progressive reforms about 100 years ago, or exact, exactly 100 years ago, actually, here in California. And the problem at the time was the railroad barons had a lot of influence in politics, and, and the movement was an attempt to put more, more power in the hands of the people. Thresholds that they came up with at that point, which are actually even lower for initiatives, it probably made more sense in that time period where it was more difficult to gather, you know, a bunch of signatures from lots of people at the same time. You know, we have professional signature gatherers working now and we have social media to spread the word and, and everything else. So it's much easier to gather signatures today than it was then. And so, you know, the numbers maybe made more sense 100 years ago than they do now. So do you think that it's time for California to review some of these recall laws like Secretary Weber is suggesting? I think she's she's got a reasonable point. And especially in this sadly new era in American politics of extreme polarization and animus towards the other party. You know, I think there was a time in American politics where there was just basic level of respect for whoever was elected by the people. And I think we're past that uh, at this point, unfortunately. I hope we come back again. But given that, it seems quite likely that we'll have recalls constantly, or at least, you know, quite frequently or more frequently than we have. The Secretary of State is talking about a lot of procedural reforms here. Um, are there any other reforms you think might be coming our way on the recall? Well, I mean, one of the things that, that people are talking about that I think would be an interesting reform to the system is requiring some kind of malfeasance for the recall. Mm. And, you know, that's I mean, that was the intention of the progressive movement 100 years ago to put this on the ballot, the idea was that you wanted to, to re- have the power to remove someone who is corrupt or not acting in the public interest. And, and, you know, we're getting away from that purpose with using it just for ideological disagreements. And so the idea that we could alter it to require some kind of corruption or malfeasance or incompetence, that that makes a lot of sense to me because that's in fitting with the, the original intent. Well, what would it actually take to change some of these rules in a major way like we're talking about? It it takes a a constitutional amendment because it's in the Constitution. Um, But here in California, we can amend the Constitution by initiative. So, you know, we could we could take a vote on it, essentially, or the legislature can start that process and put it on the ballot for us. How likely are voters to go for something like this and actually make these changes? You know, in, in poll after poll voters are very much in favor of having power in the hands of voters, even though, you know, with initiatives, things backfire so often. But nevertheless, we're, we're fond of the idea that we have control, right? And so in the abstract, people might want not want to make it harder for a recall to happen. But again, it, we're in this polarized environment, and this is a very blue state. And so you can imagine a majority of uh, Democrats 
and independents that lean that way wanting to change it because the target is most likely to be a, a Democrat. Kim Nolder, political science professor at Sacramento State University. Thank you so much. You bet. So, Nicole, for people who were washing their dogs or changing their windshield wipers or sweeping the floor, anything besides washing the debate, the one thing that came out of it that I heard and I didn't hear much was something about nose hairs? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you might have heard about a certain candidate's nose hairs. And this was an interesting, like, lightning round because they were running out of time. So they wanted to learn a little more about all the candidates. And John Cox, who ran against Newsom in 2018, was asked, what's something embarrassing about you that people might not know? And he said, oh, no. my wife doesn't like my nose hairs. <laughs> oh, no. On a stage in front of people. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time, Nicole. Bye, Nigel. Have a good one. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Figland and produced by Jen Picard. Our engineers are Antonio Munez, Chris Feltz, and Paul Connor. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio, and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 